You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Welcome to episode 602 of the Sonic Society, the world's greatest showcase of modern audio theater. I'm Jack Ward, right here with agave in my coffee, the cream in everyone's cup, David Alt. Good morning, everyone. Are you uh, are you having your morning brew, Jack, or are you still uh, <laughs> still not quite awake yet? <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> well, for years I've denied myself the caffeine bean, and only in the last couple of months have I been convinced that a cup or two a day might be healthy for me. So I've joined the masses of morning zombies who look forward to the bitter brew in the morning. Mm. I think I might go back to black teas for a little jolt for a bit just to shake things up. You know, as a Brit, I know it's required for you to drink tea, mm-hmm. but do you drink coffee as well, David? Uh, I try not to, but I have been known. But uh, yeah, a cup of tea I will have at any time of the day. So does somebody sort of brew you a cup and just sort of push it over to you so <laughs> he's like i try not to but i do anyway kind of thing so well as all of the american listeners will know uh, tea is delivered to you by the royal foot servants <laughs> they come from the queen and they deliver it to all households in the uk every hour on the hour that delights me no end <laughs> <laughs> the imagery just, is beautiful i just i'm tearing up thinking I, it's, I it's to... just just a little peek into the wonderful <laughs> world of the of living in england well, today's show we thought we'd give you a little peek at the world of audio fiction it can be a blurred world with audio drama so i figured it was you know pretty close enough Hmm. certainly at times we've had audio fiction in the past but we try to keep most of our new work full cast full sound effects audio drama on the sonic society so our features today include the prick willow papers the ninth world journal and girl in space All first episodes and linked at the website. And our trio of fiction begins right here. On the Sonic Society. Dictation, please. Thanks. 21st of Bud's Bloom, in the year of Our Lady, 1537. So, hi. Diary, journal, book soon to be full of inane ramblings, whatever. I'm Silda. Nice to meet you. I'm 21. I'm a half-elf. I've just graduated... And I'm bored out of my fucking mind. Since I'm back in this shithole again, I thought I should do something mildly productive to pass the time. There's not a whole lot to do here. Hearthford had libraries, bathing houses, temples, taverns, shops, everything you could want. But here, zero zilch zippo. And it's got the stupidest fucking name in the whole province. Prick Willow. I know... 
You can tell if someone's visitor here by the permanent smirk on their face. Not that there are many visitors. It would be better if more of my friends were here. Only a couple of my Prickwillow school friends are still around. And my friends from Hartford College of Mages left leagues away. But I won't be here forever. I'm already sending letters to sorcerers, enchanters, wizards, trying to get an apprenticeship. Fingers crossed. I'm reasonably confident. Mum keeps asking if I've had any replies yet. I've only been home a week. Way to turn on the pressure. And Dad keeps trying to persuade me to go into the family business. Don't get me wrong, I love books. I wouldn't have gone to college if I didn't. But running a bookshop is a different kettle of Krakenspawn. Inventories, accounts, shelving, customer service. Ugh, yuck. Of course, I'm helping out right now because I have nothing else to do and it's right downstairs so I have no viable excuse, but I won't be doing it for long, fingers crossed. Something has to come up eventually. If only I could just set up on my own right away, but I have to get an apprenticeship and do one more year of training before I can practice magic professionally. And there are loads of advanced spells you can only use if you have a license. Bloody bureaucracy. Oh, fuck. I need to go and meet Briarly in the tavern like five minutes ago. Catch you later, diary. Maybe something will happen while I'm gone. <laughs> That's likely. Quill, finish dictation. Hey, hey, are you awake? You're still breathing. Wake up, please. Okay, I'll just put you on the blanket and wait until you wake up. If you wake up, fucking hell. Quill, take dictation. Oh shit, I need to calm down. Quill, take dictation, please. So, I was just in the peacock's feather with Briarly. Everything seemed pretty normal. She was talking about her new boyfriend non-stop and I could barely get a word in. She's the shortest halfling in town, but she's also the loudest person I know. No kidding. Anyway, she was talking at me and I was pretending to listen when the tavern keeper's cat started making weird yowling, hissing noises. I looked over and it was staring at a minute woman who was just standing on the floor near the privy door. She was about, say, five inches tall and had shimmery wings on her back. Before I could do anything, the cat pounced on her. No one else seemed to be paying any attention. The cat grabbed the tiny woman in its jaws and ran outside. I followed the cat as quickly as I could, leaving Briarly looking incredibly confused. I found the cat toying with its prey in the street and managed to grab the tiny woman before it did serious damage. But she was unconscious and one of her wings was shredded by the cat's claws. I ran back inside, hiding the woman behind my back as best I could and told Briarly I'd just been sick and had to go home. She must have thought I'd gone bonkers. Anyway, the little woman is on my bed now, wrapped up in a blanket. Luckily, my parents are already in bed, so I didn't have to dodge past them on my way up here. I think she's still breathing. Hopefully. I know it's probably a terrible idea to bring some unknown magical creature into the house. I've been told enough stories about kids who got dragged off by kelpies or tricked by imps to know that. That's why I don't want Briarly or my parents or anyone to find out about her. They tell me to get rid of her, leave her to her fate. But she was helpless against that tabby. 
I couldn't just let her get slashed to bits. They wouldn't understand that I had to help her. I think she must be a fairy or a pixie or something like that, but I don't know for sure. The descriptions in the guides at the college were never clear enough. I think most of the writers had never seen the creatures they were describing, but now I've seen a whatever she is. That's quite exciting, but also quite terrifying. I want it to be okay to wake up, but if she wakes up, I have no idea what she'll do. She might attack me or trick me or cast a spell on me or any number of things, but if I leave her out to die, I'd never forgive myself. So I suppose I just need to wait and see what happens. I'm probably not going to get any sleep tonight. Good night, diary. You sleep well, at least. Quill and dictation. I can fucking talk. I may be in a lot of pain, but I haven't lost my basic linguistic functions. Oh, that's good, I suppose. I'm sorry. Uh, can't I do anything to help you? With the pain, I mean? Why are you being so concerned? Big folk are usually more about poking and prodding and trying to extract our bodily fluids for potions and the like. Big folk? You mean humans, elves, that kind of thing? Don't care what you call them, they're all big folk to me. Well, I'm a half-elf. My name's Silda. <laughs> nice to meet you. Silda, eh? At least you have some manners, Silda. May I ask your name, and if you don't mind, where you come from? I'm Squirm. I'm one of the fair folk from the Gloomlight Realm. Pardon? You really know nothing, don't you? Okay. I suppose you'll have heard of fairies, am I right? Yes. Well, they're a myth put about by cowardly wizards who are shit-scared of the real deal. Us. Okay. They put it about that we're these sweet little fairies who have names like cherry blossom and sunflower seed who skip among the daisies and give you good luck. But that's because they can't handle how powerful we are. The fae can destroy crops, drive people mad, steal children, bring down castles. Um, sorry if I'm being rude, but you didn't seem very powerful when you were being torn to shreds by that tabby. Ah, uh, right. You saw that, did you? Well, I suppose I can't keep it from you. I have lost most of my abilities as of late. I don't really want to discuss it at the moment, or ever, so don't ask me about it again. All right, I, I promise I won't ask you about it. Good. So, now you know, I'm a helpless being, far from home, and completely at your mercy. It's okay, though. I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to help. Uh, can I help you, I don't know, get back to the gloomy night realm or whatever? <sighs> I I can't go back. It's very complicated and I don't want to get into that now. You wouldn't understand the complexities of fair politics anyway. Okay, uh, sorry I asked, but I'm serious, you know. I do want to help you. Oh yeah, of course. Your idea of help will be handing me over to one of your wizard buddies who'll stick his wand up my bum and quiz me on the days of the fucking week as part of some sick experiment. Am I right? Um, no, you're not actually. 
I know that if anyone finds out that you're here, it could mean trouble, so I'm willing to let you stay with me and keep it a secret. Seems like that's your best chance of surviving in this place. Seriously? You do that? Well, I've got nothing better to do. Might as well help someone out. Um, well, that's very decent of you, Silda. I'll take that as a heartfelt thank you. All right. All right, then. So, uh, do you need anything? Food? Drink? I feast on moonlight and drink the salt spray of the sea. Um, okay, I'm not sure how I'm going to get those. Just kidding. I eat meat and drink water like you, I assume. Actually, I'm vegan. Fucking hell. But that should be easy enough to arrange. Need anything at the moment? No, I'm alright just now. I need to rest. But I would like to know a bit more about you, since we're going to be roomies. What do you do? Well, not very much, to be honest. I just graduated from the College of Majors in Hartford, and I'm looking for apprenticeships. Ah, I see. You're one of those unemployed young people leeching off their hard-working parents, am I right? Uh, no, not really. I help mum and dad at the bookshop. Sounds fascinating. Not really, but it passes the time. I'll get something, eventually. So, there are plenty of wizards and enchanters who can offer apprenticeships, then? Uh, no, not really. Only about 10% of graduates actually get a place with a professional magic practitioner. Oh, shit. So, what you're saying is, all that training at that college of yours could have been for nothing. Don't say that. I... I will get something. You don't sound so sure. All right, all right, I'm fucking terrified. Magic is everything I've ever wanted to do, and now I'm realising I might never get to do it. I don't want to be stuck in this place for the rest of my life, but I might already be stuck here. What if I don't get out of apprenticeship? What if I never move out of my parents' house? What if I never do anything? I thought that when I left the college, my life would just suddenly start. For real. And I'd know exactly what to do and how to do it, but I don't know anything. I'm just sending letters to people who probably never even read them. I'm scared. All. The time. Shit. <laughs> Looks like I touched a nerve. Yeah, you kinda did. So, you're happy? Now you know I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. No. Not really. Well, what should I do? Seriously, what should I do? I... Uh, I don't know. <sighs> Great. Uh, yes, uh, enough of this nonsense. Get me some water, all this angst is making me thirsty. You've been listening to the Prick Willow Papers, Episode 1. Welcome to the rest of your life. It was written, produced and performed by Maddie Searle and was a snazzy tapier production. We hope you join us again soon. Where shall I teleport to first? Bayoth? Too depressing. Perhaps Dynafell. Pay Narla Deshu a visit. She's become too embroiled in Iskobal politics. Ah, yes. I think I'll pay a visit to the City of Bridges. It would be nice to see home again. Jean Yue, the Aeon Priest. This is a Ninth World Journal.
I returned to the Dirk Hall this afternoon to find it waiting for me, the great distance teleportation device I had commissioned Deawana to build for me. I had provided the right with a small handheld version that can teleport one person several kilometers to a place they had previously been. My plan is for a much more powerful version, one that can teleport a person or perhaps several people thousands of kilometers or more, potentially to any place in the ninth world. There must be something to the hyperboloid shape of the one day Iwana has created for me, as it's the same shape as the cipher I gave her for reference. She added two handles on either side. I assume so you can grip it while using it. There's a smooth, rounded piece with green and black swirls embedded in the top of the device. The note Deawana included states, It's a midnight stone, which apparently comes from an area a long way from Kai, somewhere in Navarine, if I remember correctly. She writes here that this stone is what will enable it to send a person greater distances than the cipher it's based on. As she explains it, the Midnight Stone also has a self-mending property that will allow the device to be used time and time again, making it more like an artifact than a cipher. That way the user can return from where they teleported, which makes it much more practical than a single-use item that's pretty much limited to just using for emergency situations. She couldn't have delivered it a moment too soon, as the priesthood has been pressing for the completion of this device, I'm told even Pope Duranet VI has expressed interest in seeing such a teleporter developed. I'm thinking the Order has plans for a large-scale version once they see how this one pans out. Possibly to be able to get forces past the treacherous cloud-crystal skyfields. My hope is that a successful demonstration could earn me rank and privilege, enough to gain me access to the Citadel of the Conduit. Once I familiarize myself with the artifact and how to employ it, I will test it out, making sure to take copious notes throughout the process. I now have an understanding of how to operate the device. Each handle is on a pivot, where one is pushed forward and the other is pulled back. This twists the bottom portion while the top half that holds the midnight stone stays stationary. The torsion is what activates the device. The operator continues to hold onto the handles as both the operator and the device are teleported to someplace the user has already visited. I've used short-distance teleportation ciphers in my research, so I was comfortable with the process of teleporting. I've got to admit, my excitement and anticipation are building for my maiden voyage. For my destination, I'm envisioning the city of bridges in Gaan, the place of my childhood. I am now about to twist the handles, and in moments I will be standing on the platforms looking out to sea as when I was a young boy. Then I will return here and report my findings to the Order. A green and black essence is starting to flow around me. I think it's working. Success. The device works brilliantly. I'm no longer in my place in the Dirkal. It has successfully transported me to... Wait. This cannot possibly be the City of Bridges. There's no sea before me. 
There are no bridges between platforms. Instead, I'm in a wooded, landlocked place. I see a city behind a large wall at the edge of a huge forest, and I'm surrounded by more tents and campsites than I can count. I can see several buildings in the city rising above the walls. A couple of giant stone automatons stand before a pyramid. A humongous egg-shaped structure reaches high above the walls among several towers, and I can see other smaller buildings just inside the walls. By the size of the place, I would guess it houses a significant population. Nothing like that of Kai, of course, but it could easily accommodate the entire population of the City of Bridges, which it certainly is not. Why do I not recognize this place? This device was supposed to bring me to a place I've already been. Nothing about this place is familiar. I'm absolutely certain I've never been here. I need to find out where I've been teleported to so I can determine how effective the device is. I approach some of the campers that are all around me to get a sense of where I am. I'm told I'm just outside a city called Chelo. Yeah, this is a place I certainly never heard of, much less ever visited. The people camping outside it are pilgrims of sorts, having traveled great distances so they can... something about rebirth or something. I try to get information about the places they've come from, but I don't recognize any of the names. I must have been brought to somewhere in the beyond. I would really like to be able to tell the Order how far I was able to reach with the teleporter. As I try to nail down my whereabouts from these pilgrims, one finally declares that we are in the lands of the spirits. It takes a minute for it to sink in for me. The lands of the spirits. The spirit lands. I am amongst the Gaians. I need to return before they discover a potential enemy in their midst. Let's see. I pull the handles in the opposite directions as I had originally. Nothing's happening. Why am I not teleporting? There's got to be... Oh no. The midnight stone in the top. It is disintegrated. Without this device functional, I have no way of returning. I'm trapped in Lostre with the Gaians, the people with whom the Order of Truth is preparing to go to war. A Ninth World Journal is written by The Pack Rat and David S. Deer. Produced and performed by David S. Deer. The stories, characters, and events in this podcast are based upon the role-playing game Numenera, created and published by Monty Cook Games. Theme music is Hitman by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information, go to NinthWorldJournal.com. You think sometimes that you're all alone. But wherever you are, whoever you are, you're wrong. 
It's Girl in Space. said on the last day I ever saw you not to worry that I'd see you again part of me wants to forgive you for lying to me I mean you couldn't have known but part of me to be honest part of me is still kind of bitter even after all these years not because you left but because you left me alone. Wow. You'd think I would know better than to go through my old diaries. Nothing there but teenage heartache and angst and a lot of really terrible poetry. (laughs) Though, they're a lot more interesting than my current diaries. Speaking of which... According to the dash, it is day 10, mark 303, hour 0837, whatever that means. I mean, I guess I get the meaning of time insofar as is possible for a human mind. And there's a fairly distinct linear progression to my life. I just haven't ever witnessed the apparatus by which they're measured. Days, hours, when there's no rising sun or planetary rotation... These measurements feel kind of arbitrary. I mean, outside of the info here on the dash, they don't mean anything. It's always just me, out here, on the Cavatica, alone. Despite how that sounds, please note that I am super not bitter about it. In fact, I really don't mind being alone. Turns out, I like the quiet. It helps me think, and... I get a ton of work done. Speaking of which, I think you'd be proud of me. I finally got that old stereo microscope working, and I'm going to use it today to take a better look at those weird little insects that are attempting a hostile takeover of my potato plants. Oh, and I found something while I was going through some of Mom's old stuff. It's, it's weird. I've never seen anything like it before. It's about the size of a button, and... Well, I think it actually is a button. Not like the kind you would sew onto a jacket, more like the kind you press to open a door or commit a command. But it's not attached to anything, and I don't think it ever was intended to be. So, I'm going to take it apart, and I figured, hey, 
might as well do so using the stereo microscope. I know, I know. Buttons and microscopes and potato-destroying insects, all before lunch. What can I say? I am a sucker for cheap thrills. Honestly, I would climb mountains or lead revolutions if there were any mountains to climb or revolutions to lead out here. But there aren't. There aren't any tombs to excavate or counterfeiting rings to bust or even any decent movies to see. Well, okay, that was me being bitter. And to be fair, there is one movie that came preloaded on the dash. It's called Jurassic Park, and I can't believe I didn't discover it until after you were gone because you would have totally loved it. It's all about the reintroduction of an extinct species that, in my opinion, was clearly dominant in the first place. I like it because it's full of heroic action and science, and because it reminds me that even the humans back on Earth have difficulty re-engineering gene expression in certain species. I used to watch it as a treat once every dozen days or so, but the Kvatic has been having some issues lately. Well... Okay, more issues. And the movie playback is kind of stilted and jerky and stalls sometimes, which, to be honest, reintroduces a dash of the unexpected into a movie I can otherwise recite by heart. Nothing like a peaceful jungle landscape that pans the same scene 20 times before suddenly erupting into Dr. Sadler screaming bloody murder. And if you were here right now, you would ignore everything I just said about the movie and hone in on the word issues. And yeah, I suppose I should log those here too for posterity or whatever. So, the good news is that the Cavatica still works. Technically. Like, it has structural integrity, for the most part. And so far I haven't been sucked out into the icy black expanse of space to die. The bad news is that the ship can't actually move. Which is mainly due to its engines being dead. But... Before you panic, I'm alive, and I had plenty of heat and water and oxygen in the life support reserves to last while I worked out an alternative. It was actually a really interesting project, rerouting life support through the hydroponic systems into the glass house. I had to shut down all but three of the pods, but they're the three most integral to my work, so that's a win. Let's just hope I don't need to use the infirmary. Like, ever. Basically, the only ship-related thing that still functions properly is Charlotte, and I'm not even sure anymore that she's tied to the ship. I mean, she should be, and logically, she has to be, because there is literally nothing else that she could be tied to. I certainly didn't wire her into the glasshouse system, and yet she remains operational. This might sound vaguely insane, but part of me suspects that she saved up some sort of energy reserve for herself. Which, honestly, wouldn't surprise me. For an AI that's supposed to be dedicated to serving and enhancing human life, she is incredibly selfish. Alright. Time to get back to work. Whatever time might actually be. I'll be taking radiation measurements from Ra, checking out those insects under the stereo microscope, and taking apart that button thing I found. Ooh, maybe my cheese will be coagulated in time for lunch.
So, okay, I'm curious. I have the stereo microscope all set up, and for the first time I noticed a name etched into the side of the arm. Your name. It's faint, but it's there. My question is, why is it there? I mean, I don't really see there being an imminent danger of theft aboard a ship with a crew of three and no means of escape. Or is carving one's name into one's possessions a thing that people do? Is it a habit, a compulsion, a simple act of boredom, or even defiance? I'm... I know I'm way overthinking this, it's just... It just threw me for a loop, and I can't say I'm entirely sure why. I mean, I guess that names have power. You know, we name things for a reason. To clarify and identify them, to call and claim them, to bestow and take away power. Maybe that's what really happens to us after we die. Maybe our names are our ghosts, infused with the sum total of our accomplishments and unrealized dreams. Maybe you're haunting me through this stereo microscope. Or maybe that cheese wasn't quite ready to eat after all. At least I have the distinct honor of being haunted by Dr. Arvin Singh. (laughs) Way to be king of the nerds by including a proper title in your graffiti, Dad. Speaking of the microscope, I found a couple of things that might be of interest, with a capital O and a capital I. First, the insects that are waging their tiny, cruel war against my defenseless potatoes. I can positively say that I have never seen anything like them before. I think that normally this might not sound weird, like... There's almost a million unique documented species of insect, and there's no way I could ever memorize them all. However, I have been aboard the Kavatica for more than 9,000 days, studying every living thing on the ship, in isolation, in the massive vacuum of space. So if I haven't seen a particular species of insect before, then, well, let's just say it's significant. Current hypotheses include some kind of rapid-onset mutation, or, more improbably, recent introduction. I've isolated a few of them in a terrarium for further study, along with cuttings from a variety of other plant species. I don't know whether I prefer they devour everything in sight, or simply remain hell-bent on destroying my potatoes. Okay, next up, the button. This thing, it's so simple it's kind of hard to describe. It's smooth and flat and round, made of some kind of dense plastic or maybe glass. Uh, There's a slight fingertip size indentation on the top to indicate what you're supposed to do. And when you press it, it clicks. It's oddly satisfying. Anyway... Alright, I am now taking a look at it under the stereo microscope, and there is a tiny seam all around the side. Let's just see if... Okay, I'm going to see if I can find a scalpel or something to fit in there. Pardon me. Oh, no, 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 no. Pardon me. Charlotte, I am working. Out you go. Are you attempting to... Repair sensitive technical equipment. No. Go away. 
It appears you are attempting to repair sensitive technical equipment. Would you like my assistance with that? No. No, I would not. Thank you. I am glad you have opted into letting me help you repair sensitive technical equipment. Charlotte, no, I'm... I've got this. Just please go away. Remember the incident with the distress beacon. My databanks remember everything. Okay, just stay right there. Okay. Uh, I have a scalpel, which looks like it will fit nicely into the crack. Your attempts to repair sensitive technical equipment would be more successful with my onboard tools. All right, I've got it open. Split right down the middle like a walnut shell. Inside... Hmm. Just a bunch of wires and circuits. Oh, that's weird. Uh, there's a little burn mark right where... Oh my gosh. Charlotte, back up. Yeah, no, I need to use both of the eyepieces on this thing. That's what makes it a stereo microscope. It appears that one of the microprocessors has burned out, burned out, burned out. My onboard tools can easily... Thank you, Charlotte. I can take it from here. What? My onboard tools can easily repair Oh my gosh. Fine. Just fix the microprocessor already. If you insist. Thank you. Okay, it's back together now, and it's still... Oh, oh, uh, that's weird. Uh, it looks like there's a little switch right along... Um, okay. The object has begun to emit a soft and steady blue glow from within. Now let's just see what happens when I push... Oh gosh, okay, uh, that was unexpected and terrible. I ran a quick inspection of the three functional pods and the dash core, and nothing was different. Nothing had changed. Nothing was glowing or sparking or unexpectedly functional. Happily, nothing had blown up either. I'm relatively sure I'm still alive. Uh, Charlotte's as normal as she's ever been. I even ran through the opening scene of Jurassic Park, and it was as jerky and stilted as ever. In short, I have no idea what I might have just activated slash done. I have no idea why Mom would have stashed this thing in one of her lockers, why or how it was broken, or why I even felt compelled to fix it. If there were anyone else on board, I might feel embarrassed. But you know what? There is no one else on board, so I can be comfortably and perfectly honest about how I probably shouldn't have tried to fix that button, and how badly it could have gone if it were some sort of weapon or self-destruct device. And hey, you know, while I'm being perfectly honest, I hate zucchini, turnips are the hell spawn of root vegetables, and I am terrified of the fish in the hydroponic tanks. But I eat all of them anyway, because they're nutritious. Okay... Everything is okay. And we even learned a lesson. Don't push buttons if you're not 100% sure what they are. 
as they say, you know, whoever they are, no harm, no foul. I am going to get back to my calibrations and conveniently forget this ever happened. Dinner tonight was one of the Ancarinkas micas from the tanks, grilled with lemon and oregano, and quinoa that I tossed with tomatoes and spinach. I was going to have potatoes instead of the quinoa, but decided to forego them until I learned more about those insects. Strawberries and tea for dessert, and then some final radiation tests before bed. You know, while I was eating, I kept thinking about those diaries I found about how I used to feel about being alone, and how I feel about it now. I was bitter then, and angry and hopeless, and a whole lot of other things. But now? I know they say people don't really change, you know, again, whoever they are. But I think I'm kind of okay with it. I wake up, I eat, do science, eat, do more science, eat some more, and relax before I sleep. Then I rinse and repeat, just like it says on the side of my vat of Caldwell Enterprises shampoo. And between all of the eating and sciencing, I can dance and sing and tinker with broken things and invent new things and watch Jurassic Park or even just stare out into the infinite vastness of space. I think what I'm trying to say is that I don't really mind being alone as much as I think I'm supposed to. Humans are inherently social creatures, but for whatever reason, I am not. No one tells me what to do out here. No one tells me to put on shoes or sit still or wear cosmetics. My work is important and my research is challenging and fascinating. I have clean water and fresh food and access to top-notch scientific equipment. I mean, sometimes I wish I had someone to talk to, but that's what you and Charlotte are for. And the view is fantastic. So why... This is going to sound incredibly ungrateful, but, you know, hey, we're being honest here. If everything in my life is so incredibly amazing, why don't I feel happy? Addendum, uh, day 10, Mark 303, hour 1745. This probably isn't really worth noting, but during my final radiation tests of the day, I saw a blip out in the opposite direction of Ra. It's a bright light with the pinpoint clarity of a star, but obviously it's not a star since it wasn't there yesterday. Or even a few hours ago. Also, it's moving. I would say that it's a comet or an asteroid, but at this point, I don't have enough data to make that assumption. And we all know what happens when we assume. For whatever reason, Charlotte's taking this new development with all the grace of a garbage fire. She barged in on her hydraulic arm while I was checking Ra's radiation emissions earlier, 
and started reciting the entire Caldwell Enterprises emergency preparedness manual to me from start to finish. I took that to mean that she thinks the incoming light is a matter of some concern. I told her to be more optimistic, that it might not be coming directly toward us, that it could simply be a mirage, that she technically doesn't have a death to fear, but she just started reciting the manual all over again from the beginning. So I wedged a fallen tree branch up into the hydraulic tracks to block her from exiting the glass house. I don't know. I don't think I'm afraid of death, necessarily. At least not right now. Things live and die in cycles, and I'm not enough of a narcissist to think I'm exempt from the laws of nature. I'm weirdly... I don't know how to describe it. Interested? Excited? I mean, I'm not excited about death, or even really about whatever this approaching thing is. A comet, an asteroid, a projectile, a ship, an event, a fact, a phenomenon, an anomaly? I think I'm just intrigued by the idea that there is possibility out there. You know, that space holds things other than the stars and planets and nothingness I've seen all around me every day of my life. In all of its mystery, this thing coming toward the Kavatika signifies everything. Sounds like Charlotte found a way out. I bet she's on her way here right now to tell me that escape pods are at the ready. Escape pods at the ready. Thank you, Charlotte. But I'm pretty sure they're just about as dead and incapable of movement as the Kavatika. You know, it's interesting. The things that happen despite or because of our intentions. Escape pods at the... The feeble control that we have over this massive universe and the thin threads of chance that tie it all together. The Kavatika was never intended to be out here this long. And from what you've told me, the raw initiative was expected to, if not explicitly intended to, fail. Or at least it wasn't intended to be as long-term as it's become, or else they'd have given it better engines and a larger supply of fuel and a bigger crew. You know, an actual chance to return and make a difference. Not that I'm bitter. And yet, despite all of that, here I am, a girl in space, harnessed to one of the universe's most bizarre science fair projects, writing out my thin thread of chance regardless of whether anyone out there ever intended me to do so. Anomaly gaining speed. What? Anomaly. Gaining speed. Gaining speed. That's weird. Charlotte says the anomaly appears to be gaining speed? I, I don't... Hold on. I'm on my way to the galley, where I have the best view of it. Maybe I'll sleep there tonight just to keep an eye on it. For whatever good that'll do. Note to self. Create list of measures, countermeasures, and worst-case scenarios for eventual approach of disastrous phenomena, unfriendly ship, or malevolent godlike entity.
Okay. Um, so, day 10 mark 304, hour 0553, uh, radiation levels normal, blah, 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 all of that good stuff. Okay, the thing moving toward us, it's not a meteor or an asteroid or an event or a malevolent godlike entity or a ship or any of those other things I said it might be. Dad, it's an entire fleet. Support for the Girl in Space podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet merch, and access bonus episodes for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash girlinspace, all one word, to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. That's patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash girl in space for credits and a full transcription of this and other episodes of girl in space please visit girl in space if you're interested in creative writing be sure to check out my other show right now that's right like w-r-i-t-e because puns otherwise thank you so much for listening to the girl in space podcast it means so much And that's this week's show. Please take some time to rate as many of the Mutual Audio Network feeds as you would like on Apple Podcasts. You can find the network broadcast feed as well as the seven daily mini-casts on every one of your favourite aggregators, including Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio and more. Remember, the more you let others know about audio drama, the richer our world of story and sound becomes. If you'd like to send us a message, email us at sonicsociety at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing. You can also find us in the Facebook groups including Electric Vicuna, Sonic Society, or the Audio Drama Radio Drama Lovers group. Add us on Twitter at Sonic Society or at AstroTour2010 or now at Audio Mutual. Please join us next week as we take a look at the unseen. So, more audio dramas then. <laughs> Indeed. Until then, I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Good day, everyone. Have a great day. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. 
with the aguava in my coffee, the cream in everyone's cup. Aguave. There you go. I'm Jack. Ag uh, no, ag ag agave. Agave. No, not with a gua. I thought it's it a gua. Gua. A gua. Agave. Okay. <clears throat> agave. Yeah. I'm Jack Ward right here with the agave in my copy. Copy. Ah <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Ward right here with the agave. Ag I can't even say that. Agave? Agave? Agave. Agave. Yes. I'm Jack Ward right here with agave in my copy. Co <laughs> I'm going to do this all day long. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallweg, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.